Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Day. Man, I I love Passion Week. Like, this week is my favorite part of the whole year. The whole week of events, it it begins with our Lord intentionally riding into town, a town full of people who did not like Him. I love that He knew it wasn't going to be pretty. When he rode into town, he knew bad things were going to happen, but he did it anyway. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was on a mission. And this mission was to free us from the devil. I love that one of the first things that he does when he gets into town is he clears out the temple. Basically, to those people who were changing money and selling things, he's saying to them, let's get one thing straight. My temple will be called a house of prayer for everyone. Not just for the Jews. Not just for whoever can afford to buy an animal sacrifice. I can, I can picture uh, Jesus turning over those tables, uh, flipping them. And I, I can just uh, picture that, uh, in him saying, you don't know anything about sacrifice. Him telling them, it isn't about money. When I think of Passion Week, when I, when I think of it, I, I don't mean to, but I tend to slip into daydream mode. I don't know if you've ever done this. It, it's, uh, it, it's something that I've done in my life. And that's probably why I was a, a C average student in middle school and high school. I daydreamed too much. But I find myself in this daydream as a, as a child peeking around the gate of the city as Jesus rode into town. Now I'm thinking, could this be the one? And I, I picture him, myself as I, I'm peeking around the temple wall. And I'm watching Jesus as he's turning over the tables. And I'm thinking, could this be the one? I'll bet this is him. At this point in my daydream, I feel emboldened. Emboldened. I was an average C student, so I don't know if that's an actual word. But I think I heard it in Sunday school. Basically, uh, I feel bold at this point. Jesus is, is turning over the tables. He's setting things straight. I, have you ever heard that song, My Boyfriend's Back? Oh, it's an old song. Uh, young guys, don't go home and look it up. It's not that great of a song. But my, my folks would play the song like it's from the 1970s or maybe the 60s. Uh, my Boyfriend's Back. And I'm not going to sing it. It's silly. But let me read to you a few of the lines out of that silly song. My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. You see him coming, you better cut out on the double. There's a bunch of other lines that go along with it. And and finally, you know, I can see him coming, so you better get to running. The idea, the idea is that, that you've been picked on. You've been bullied and harassed by someone that is bigger than you. But a stronger man is coming to town. 
and that stronger man is on your side. Not only that, he loves you. The bully is going to get it. It. Your mom ever do do that to you? You You're going to get it, boy. The stronger man is coming to town and the bully is going to get it. You all know that this bully is the devil. I don't have to tell you that. And it's, it's obvious that he has corrupted many of the Romans who are oppressing the poor Jewish folk. And he's corrupted some of the Pharisees who have turned legalistic and selfish. And he's even worked his way into the temple in the form of greed. Jesus sets them straight. I can see the stronger man coming. Now up until the time when Jesus rode into town, it seemed like the devil was the strong man. But now... Jesus is taking control of the situation and the devil's going to get it. Jesus teaches in in Luke chapter 11, verses 21-22. He says, For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings words of Jesus. Now at this point, in my daydream, the the stronger man coming in and kicking the bully's rear end, I, I get a lot of adrenaline and it takes over and I wake up from my daydream. But this verse is really what dreams are made of. Some of us, maybe most of us, can remember Remember when we belonged to the devil. When he was in control of our lives. Oh, it's, it's not that we intentionally gave ourselves to the devil. It's not that we cognitively agreed to belong to him. But many of us can look into our past. And see a time when we didn't care if we belonged to God or not. And then one day, one day you realized that all the worldly things that you were living for, they aren't worth nothing compared to heaven. And then you invite Jesus in to your life. And in comes the stronger man. After clearing the temple... Jesus teaches the most important things that people need to know. Like the most important commandment. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 through 40. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourselves. The entire law and all, of, and, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
most important commandment. And then he criticizes the religious leaders in teaching. And he teaches about how to prepare for the final judgment. And it all seems to be going pretty good. Jesus is the stronger man and he's kicking butt and taking names. Until the night he was arrested. And if we're honest... We don't like this part of a Passion Week. The stronger man, the guy who rode into town and had things under control, has been captured, and he's not fighting back. He allowed them to mock him, to beat him, and finally, they put him on a cross and he died. His followers, they didn't understand it. How could the Messiah just let all that happen? All their hope had ended. But they they forgot. They forgot that the stronger man's most powerful weapon is prayer. Before Jesus was arrested. He went to a place called Gethsemane and he prayed, Lord, your will be done. And up on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Father, I entrust my spirit unto your hands. Every warrior knows The more you use your weapon, the better you get with it. And never, ever give your weapon to the enemy. Remember Daniel? He had a habit of praying. One day, some others became jealous that Daniel was more capable than they were. So they planned a scheme to get rid of Daniel. And they went to the king, King Darius, and they talked him into making a law that he was the only one that they could pray to. They couldn't pray to any any other thing, any other god, anybody else. Just pray to King Darius. But did Daniel give up his weapon? No. No, Daniel did not. He said... Come and take it, basically. I, I love this flag. This, this is from Texas, like 1800s, and, and the, they had a cannon that they had captured, or they, they had acquired, and, and from the Mexican army, and the Mexicans wanted that cannon back so they could use it against America, and the uh, Texas folk there said, come and take it, and they wheeled it around and pointed it in the direction of the, the Mexicans at that point. Come and take it. This is Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Uh, I love what he says. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day just as he had always done giving thanks to God. 
he prayed anyway. He prayed to only God and no one was going to stop him. Come and take it. Well, the king Darius tried to find a way to get Daniel out of this trouble because the king liked Daniel and he was tricked into making that law, but it was out of his hands at this point. Daniel was arrested and sentenced to to death to die in the lion's den. They threw him in the lion's den and they sealed it by rolling a big old stone to cover up the opening so that no one could rescue Daniel. Very early the next morning, King Darius, he ran to the lion's den. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you? Daniel answers, verse 21, Long live the king. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Long Live the king. My God has saved me and I am innocent. 500 years later. 500 years later, the followers of Jesus, they ran to the tomb where Jesus' body was placed and they find it empty. Long live the king. And this time, We're not talking about King Darius. We're talking about the king of the universe. And we can say the same thing that Daniel said. My God has saved me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. That's what we can say. You and I, sitting here today. My God has saved me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. Innocent. Daniel, he was guilty of breaking the law, but innocent in God's sight. Now we're guilty of, we are guilty of breaking all kinds of laws. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many people sped in their vehicles on the way to get here today. But we are all uh, guilty of breaking some kind of law. Including God's law. Including God's law. But we can find, we can be found innocent in God's sight because of one thing. And that's the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That's what makes us innocent. And that's the part that's so hard for us to think about. Jesus dying on a cross. Matthew records three powerful things that happened right when Jesus died. Number one, the veil was torn. And this wasn't the normal kind of veil when we think of veils nowadays. We think of the the, the little netting that covers the bride's face, the veil. This was nothing like that. And though we don't know exactly what it was like, history records, history has passed down tradition that this veil was as thick as a man's palm. 
And it would have been prepared in the temple to keep people from falling into the Holy of Holies. Think of a curtain so thick that you could fall into it and not go through it. It's said that it was made to the specification that you could tie a horse to each side of it and send them in opposite directions and it would not tear. Except for in this situation, it tore from the top to the bottom. It's a big old tall veil way up there. Basically, this first thing that happened, the veil being torn, basically... Only God could have done it. The veil symbolizes the barrier between us and God. Symbolizes our sin. Prior to Jesus, we couldn't get to God because of that sin. But our sin, because of what happened that day is no longer a barrier. And only God can do that. The second thing that happened was the earth shook and rocks split apart. An earthquake. And I'm really impressed by this. This is really cool to have this natural thing, the earth shaking. And and you can say, you know, there are such things as earthquakes and, and things like that happen. But this seems to be on demand. The earth just shakes right when the Creator died instantly and rocks split apart. Some would say creation shuddered when man killed the Creator. The earth shook. The third thing is tombs opened up and the bodies of many godly men and women were resurrected. That's weird. That's where tombs just, just, just opened up and, and people start walking out of them and people don't hang out in tombs. There's not parties going on in there for people just to walk out. There's dead folk in those tombs. And they're walking out of this. Is this a clue? Is this a clue? When Jesus died, tombs opened up and, and people came walking. Is this a clue of what is going to happen to Jesus? The followers and the disciples, maybe they didn't see it at that point. Sure makes sense to us uh, looking back on it. Clearly, clearly this is a display of power over life and death. God has this power. Now these things... uh, They're impressive, but they still don't compare to us being found innocent of sin because of Jesus' death. Jesus asked the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5, verse 23. He says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? He's talking about the paralyzed man here that was lowered down through the ceiling uh, you remember that. Then, then he tells, uh, tells the man, after, after he tells him this, uh, to get up and walk. He told him to get up and walk to prove that he can forgive sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says, For everyone has sinned. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Oh, I think the the veil was torn, the earth shook and rocks split apart, tombs opened up and once dead people walked out of them to prove that people who have faith in Jesus can indeed be found innocent of their sin. But it still seems like Jesus' followers, they're not quite sure what's going on here. They're still not sure who the stronger man is. Seems like the devil is one because Jesus is dead. You ever watch a, a wrestling match or, or a, a jiu-jitsu competition? You know, it, it's hard to tell who is winning unless you know all the moves. And even then, it can get a little confusing. All of the, the legs and arms and, and people locking each other up. It's hard to see which one is going to win. But one man, the stronger man, will have the advantage of a better position or a better hold. Last week in my jiu-jitsu training class, and I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me using jiu-jitsu illustrations, but I'm telling you what, when somebody has got me in a chokehold and my face is shoved down to the mat, that's when I think this would make a great illustration for Sunday morning. Sometimes I forget to tap and it hurts. So I learned a new position last week and I think it's called the ratchet strap or the vice grip. I can't remember what it's called. I, I would say that it's more like the water pump pliers or the pipe wrench. And I'll explain that in a minute. Anyway, uh, to do this move, you have to get in close. The other guy is going to get a hold of you, and you are going to be wrapped up in his arms, and then you get in the right position, and you go to cranking down on him. You know a pipe wrench, you guys uh, that have used this. You know how they're made? A pipe wrench has got two jaws and the teeth on the top jaw pointed in and the teeth on the bottom jaw are pointed out. And when you crank that down, both jaws get tighter. The harder you push down on that, the tighter they grip in and it's not going to let go. When you're putting all your weight on that, something is going to give. Something is going to break. So in this move, you get in there and you you get an arm and a and a head and and you put your arms there and you get it all like that and uh, you just crank as hard as you can until the other guy taps. Jesus did this. He got in close. He got wrapped up in death. But he's the stronger man. And he had the right position. And he used the old pipe wrench move. Something had to break. And it wasn't Jesus. 
No, I'll tell you what broke. It was the devil's hold on our souls. And that brought in a new day. That's my favorite part of Passion Week. When the Lord Jesus rose up out of the grave and made a new day for me and for you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Another earthquake, folks. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where, he was, where his body was laying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there and remember what I have told you. The woman ran quickly to the, from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Listen, folks. There is no better true story than the one about us being doomed to hell because of our sin. We were hopeless until the stronger man, Jesus Christ, destroyed death's hold on us and by His resurrection gave us new life. And because of that, we should be filled with great joy. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Oh, the world tell you all kinds of things that are against God's Word. It told Daniel not to pray to God But Daniel knew who the stronger man was. When the Spirit of the Lord living in us, with that Spirit, we can be courageous. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, we can say to the world, we can say to the evil, when you you want to come and take our prayer, our joy, our citizenship in heaven, it's pointed right at you. 
And you know who the stronger man is. The Lord gave us a job after his resurrection, by the way. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them my ways. And he said at the end of it all, And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. If our Savior wasn't raised from the dead, then how can he be with us? The resurrection is true indeed, and he is here with us now. We are the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, if you have not put your 100% faith in the resurrected resurrected Lord, then this can be that day. He's calling your name. He wants you to come out of the grave. That's what He did for you. And He wants you. He's calling you to come out of that grave. He's the stronger man. Will you put your faith in Him today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for what you did. The whole process, Lord, riding into town, riding straight into trouble, knowing that it was going to hurt and it wasn't going to be easy and that you was going to eventually die. And then for not giving up there, Lord, we know you had a plan the whole time, all along, and it was to set us free from the chains of sin that would drag us to hell if we didn't find some way out of them. And Lord Jesus, you are that way out of them. We praise you. We ask you to help us to continue to be more like you. Forgive us of our imperfections. We praise you on this resurrection day. We celebrate that you didn't stay dead. You conquered death. Jesus, in your name we pray.